0: This podcast is at and
1: I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers played with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the coast, there was an age of
2: advanced role-playing on to the sky gas destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon
1: a troubled brow It was given to teach us all
2: how to rule for initiative Ladies and gentlemen uh, Let's get her
1: Roll for initiative podcast. This is volume number three, issue number 138. DM Vince is sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And DM Nick.
0: Hi, folks.
1: DM Chad has the week off. He has a bunch of little girls over his house because his daughter had a nice big slumber party. So he's bombarded by little tweeners.
0: Yes, they're probably all hopped up on sugar and watching the whole Twilight series. Yes. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> anyway, if you've never listened to the show before, we are a podcast that is dedicated to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. We follow the books, uh, probably not as written, sorry, but we follow it best that we can based on our experiences, but we just use the books at hand. We use them as guidelines, as the book tells us. That's guidelines. right. Guidelines. Uh, just for those out there that question, yes, we do approve you to use Osric if you'd like to try out it without buying the books. By all means, just do a quick search for Osric RPG. You'll find that. It's basically the same thing as first edition, just a few house rules added to clear up a little bit of the confusion of the writing of the Gygaxian. Some people don't understand the Gygaxian writing. That's no problem if you come from a newer generation. Once you're done with that, we say definitely go out and spend the money on the books, either the Wizard of the Coast reprints or the originals. Either one works. We definitely would like you to do
0: that. And most of all, just have fun. Yeah. Kill monsters, get experience points, take their stuff.
1: Yes, and uh, make sure you do gold for experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, had in- to do that. you had to do that.
1: Yeah, a little bit. You in- had right. to
0: do that to me.
1: Get yeah, got involved in a little uh, tirade with someone. It, one of the-
0: yeah, but we let it go. Let it yeah. go.
1: About how, you know, if you're not using gold for XP, you're not playing the game correctly. That is, um, I brought that up for a specific reason, because everybody plays the game how they want to play the game. And if you're not using one rule over another rule, doesn't mean you're not playing the game right. There is no right way to play the game. It's just however you have fun playing the game.
2: Exactly.
0: That's exactly it.
1: It's just maintain the fun. If people are enjoying it and they're going, oh, I can't wait to the next adventure, then you know you're playing the game correctly.
2: You're right. The point of D&D is to have fun, not
1: win. Yeah. You don't need to be like Chevy Chase saying, I won Dungeons and & Dragons, and it was And magic. it was advanced.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. yes, see the Community episode of that TV show.
0: Yes, that was very good.
1: So, we're back. We, um, we want to look at our stars on iTunes. Nick, we're going to head over to you. Do we have anything for Mr. Christopher Walken this week?
0: Yes, Mr.... Christopher Walken, he looked over at iTunes, and yeah, I found we have a new star! Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Kudos to the RFI team. <laughs> and five stars. Wow. Hey, new stuff. Anyway.
1: <laughs> I thought he might be drunk or something. I don't know.
0: No! I'm <laughs> drinking just a little tired. All right. Chasing after my dog.
1: So what does the review say? <laughs> yes.
0: I started listening to R5 Podcast early last year. <laughs> and went back to episode one. And listened to every episode in your anthology up to, and including the most recently posts play by mail podcast. Wow
1: you ad living
0: no <laughs> okay i can't do the rest i just can't do it
1: all right, all right all right
0: anyway but uh he says it is a great podcast and i look forward to it i got through the first sentence <laughs> i think each host brings something different to the team but that is fantastic for the listener Chad is a fantastic recent addition. Nick and Matt are great contributors, and even though I did not like evil DM Vince at the beginning of the show, <laughs> I have grown to respect his opinions and realize he is the rock, which keeps the show steady and going. So you're like the rock. Yeah. Can you do the it's, eyebrow thing?
1: What I'm cooking? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the chairman I
0: <laughs> he goes on to say i do miss jason and like to see him occasionally return even will had his good moments in fact only dm crispy made me vomit in my mouth <laughs> I could never hear him again those episodes were minus three to save versus death ray but luckily i made my saving throws sorry crispy <laughs> keep up the great work from nick in houston nick is that you no It's a different, Nick. It's my evil twin. Okay. My evil twin, so.
2: Never knew you had a blood feud with Crispy.
0: (laughs) I need him vomit in his mouth. Oh, my gosh. That's, well, we're sorry they hear that. But, you know, Crispy comes on when he, you know, if we need a fill-in host. So, apparently, we will not make that a mistake (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Because we don't want people vomiting in their mouths. (laughs) But this was well, just one guy, <laughs> so Chris
1: a, a good little host, and I mean, he's been busy with school, so he hasn't been on yeah. for a while. So,
0: yeah, so thank you, uh, Nick in Houston, to uh, give us a review on iTunes. And just to remind everyone, go ahead, head over to iTunes, give us a review, good or bad, indifferent, we don't care, just go ahead and there. And go to the iTunes store, look us up, roll for initiative, and you can type in your review there. And also, all of our episodes can be listened to and or downloaded from iTunes for your listening pleasure. Or... Or...
1: You can go directly to the website and access the link that Matt posts in every show.
0: You could do that. There's many different ways. There's a plethora. A plethora? A plethora. Oh,
1: or you can just uh, call Matt directly at 5... Oh, sorry. No, no,
2: no, 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 no. No, <laughs>
1: no one gets the bat phone. Right. No, you can actually hit us up on the forums or org. if you have a problem listening. And I'm sure uh, Matt will advise you how to uh, get the show downloaded if you're really having a lot of trouble. Yeah. He's very good with that. And he usually responds within a week or two. So,
2: Yeah. occasion. <laughs> I may get to it eventually. Yeah, eventually. Eventually. Mm -hmm. He's very busy. Yes, very, very busy.
1: Very busy. So, Matt, tell us, what's the update on your uh, wrestling career? Last time I heard you were going in the ring for a match.
2: Yeah, that happened last night, and uh, I arose victorious. Um, Yeah, it was fun and interesting, and I will be having yet one more match. Uh, This past one was a tag team match, and this will actually be a singles match at the UAW Hall in Fairfield on March 22nd. So,
1: so let's, let's take a little dive into that real quick, and I don't want to interrupt the, the show, but I'm just curious myself, how much practice time did you have for the moves? And Zero.
2: Is, <laughs> imprompt? Exactly. Wow, nice. Yeah, sometimes you, yeah, you just go in there and you do it. I've been around long enough that I, I guess through osmosis I can fake my way through a match. And what moves are you able to were you able to do in the match um move out of the way <laughs> of course um did that um I was the uh cousin Luke in the battering ram gotcha okay um okay. And then we have a little thing that uh, my partner uh, Roger Ruffin, his finishing move. We call the Scooby Doo because you'll be the opponent will be laying in the corner, and he just runs at you and jumps and starts running in place on your chest while you're laying in the corner. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Okay, like Scooby
2: Doo. Yeah, exactly. So you got to yeah. make
0: the Scooby Doo noise. You go, But yes, so so
2: yes, with I ended up doing the Scooby Doo and absolutely killed the guy because yes, I was wearing actual steel-toed combat boots. Nice. Yes.
1: To wrap this up on a scale of 1 to 10 how much pain did you take?
2: Uh that would be a big old 0. Really?
1: Yes. So you moved out of the way of
2: everything. Okay. Yes. Yes, and there was a hot tag made involved in involving lightsabers? <laughs> because apparently nice. if you throw a lightsaber to another person and you touch your lightsaber with their lightsaber, that constitutes a tag.
0: That's a rather obscure rule, I guess, in the rules.
2: Yes, yes, but, but fortunately, it, it worked to my team's advantage. We, we did make tags with lightsabers, and yeah, uh, yeah probably so your
0: lightsabers touch tips.
2: Yeah, we we, crossed, we we cross we we cross swords.
0: We cross swords and touch tips. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: Probably more of an indie rule than anything else, but mm, I don't know. Have you ever? No one's ever tried using it in WWE. If if someone would bring two lightsabers to the ring during a tag match and they were to I, touch, they would they would probably count as a tag. Just saying. I would.
0: I would. All I know is if I were going to do it, I I still say I would have to be a masked me, Mexican wrestler named El Grande Tigre. <laughs> El the grande. Great Tiger. Yes, El or- or- Rar.
2: <laughs> <It's a tar. laughs>
1: Well, your logic does apply there because, per the rules of, of wrestling that are fake, any extension of the body, because you can hold the rope where you're supposed to hold the corner of yes. where your position is, yep. two tag counts as a tag, so I would assume that anything in your hand used to extend to something else in someone else's hand would constitute as a tag. Exactly.
0: And that includes well, lightsaber. just right, then. Well, wait a minute. How did it all... How did a lightsaber get involved?
2: Well, that? I may or may not. Well, <laughs> the guys in wrestling, you know, just as like an inside joke. They uh, were, were referred to me as Star Wars. So we just took that and ran with it. Oh, okay. So, so yes, I may or may not have came out in a Jedi cloak, and I may or may not have been holding two lightsabers and coming out to the Star Wars theme. Oh, jeez. So you're a Jedi or a Sith? A Jedi. Oh, well. I, no, you have to I become a Sith when I turn heel.
1: Oh, okay, excuse me.
0: And
2: you shall have to
0: battle El Grande Tigre. El
2: Grande Tigre,
1: oh no. We'll have to battle El Torito.
2: El Torito Torito needs to take a giant swing from Cesaro. Yes. Speaking of Cesaro, he was getting some major pops recently,
1: but uh, for a different time. So anyway, Nick, what have you been doing in your gaming world?
0: Um... Just actually, uh, what was it? Last weekend, it was the the kids' campaign for Temple of Elemental Evil, mm-hmm. and that was uh, it was going pretty well. I think I finally figured out that after about two hours of game time, you need to take about a half hour break because you know the attention span's just not there. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'm gonna build that in next time. You know, we'll play for two hours, about a half hour break, you know, and then we'll come back to the game. So but that's been going uh, pretty well. They actually got to the water temple and uh they they've done they've done well. They've done well. They're having a good time though. So um one the one player forgot about totally forgot they had a pseudo dragon familiar and all the cool stuff it could do. So <laughs> it's like so I had the everybody had to gently remind him, you know, yeah, you got a pseudo dragon. He's got like 35% magic resistance. He's almost invisible. So it's, it's a huge it's asset. A huge so, asset. So, cool. so, you know, you know,
1: definitely cool. I haven't really been doing much gaming myself. Uh, who just came back from a small getaway, my wife and I. Um, the only thing I've been working on is the new edition of mazes and perils of I'm going forward with that. It's the Mazes and Perils Expanded Edition. There's a lot more material, more classes, more races, more spells, more everything. It's looking to be a full book now at this point.
0: It's going to be more awesome, huh?
1: More awesome packed into awesome. That's what we need. That's correct. And uh, network news. The Dead Game Society podcast has finally debuted. No. Yes. Episode one has dropped for the Dead Game Society, and you can head over to DGSociety.net. pulling the website up right now. And you get to listen to episode number one of the Dead Game wow. Society. And just to give you a tiny little taste, I think I could do this.
0: This is Tori from the Dead Game Society. Welcome
2: to our podcast, the DGS We Play With Dead Games.
1: And there's just a small taste of the podcast intro. Oh, I was getting it into that. Uh, well, then you can just go download it, Nick, at DeadGamesFact.net.
0: I, I guess I will.
1: You can join Colin, Michael, and Chad as they kick off the podcast that talks about the great games and the games editions no longer in a print. Basically, they just do an introductory episode. Feel free to go over there and comment, and uh, there'll be a lot more coming from them, because episode two I'll be uploading from them shortly. And uh, you'll see that, too. So they'll be going through. I think their plan is to go through some of the uh, Dungeons and Dragons stuff as their base. And then from there, expand out. Very cool. So you will get a, a, another point of view of the OD&D first edition, second edition, probably third edition, because it's considered
2: dead games at this point. So Fourth edition's a dead game, too. Yeah.
0: Oh, it was stillborn.
2: <laughs> wow, Nick.
1: Did
0: that I was, just say that?
1: That was just rude. I'm sorry. That was just just rude and to randomly pick a Japanese word nomo there. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Are we going to edit that out? <laughs> no. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's up to you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Okay. Yep, so Nick's rude comment stays in the podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cuz I am
1: oh, it's everything.
0: It is Grande Tigre.
1: The keeper wrestling name. <laughs> also, in OSR news, the OSR superstar competition started this week. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the information out fast enough for you guys. So, when this is published sometime later this week or the next week, the contest will only be in the first week and round one will be going on. You can go to Tanker's Tavern.
2: I'm looking for the address right
1: now. Matt, can you get that? I lost
2: it. I can throw that up in the show notes.
1: Tanker's Tavern blog. Eric Tanker puts up the information for it, and uh, you can still follow along with round one. So far, we have 252 entries as of this recording. There's still 15 hours left to enter. Nick is going to enter, he said.
0: I'm going to try, and we'll see what happens. See if I can come up with a cool magic item.
1: I believe that uh, through the Rumor Vine, DM Mike from Save or Die has entered as well. Oh, cool. So there's probably some stiff competition out there.
0: Hey, 200, over 250 uh, magic items submitted. Pretty cool.
1: And if you um, win the whole contest, you do get, uh, I believe it was $25 to drive through RPG. You also get the original od box set that was print the reprint from Wizards of the Coast. Um, a copy of Barrow Maze one PDF, a giant dragon sculpture, or I'm not sure what it was exactly.
2: You get lots of fabulous prizes chosen especially for you. Here it is, Tankers Tavern dot com.
1: And uh, who wants to be an OSR, So you want to be an OSR superstar? You just click that link and you can just follow along with all of them. So the uh, competition round one will be going hang off this week. Probably by the time you guys hear this, round two will be going off. It's just you can kind of follow along, and I assume he'll be doing this more than once. So,
0: yeah, I just like that. There's so many people that are participating. It just shows you how that the gaming community, particularly OSR, is is rather active, and there's a lot of stuff going on.
1: I I think the reason why a lot of people didn't hear about it is because it was mostly on Google Plus. Because I know uh, Eric hangs out on Google Plus a lot. I'm not sure if he's on Facebook anymore. He mm. may. I have to ask him that. But uh, I'm pretty sure they would have spread that through the OSR uh, Facebook
0: group. It's still 250 some odd entries. That's that's really good. Yeah.
1: Is that like Christopher Walking Good or?
0: That's like wow, <laughs> wow.
1: I can't believe it.
0: That's like nuts. Out of control.
2: Hmm and somebody's phone. phone yep there's this hopefully a kobold will answer it
1: that is our RFI 5 pod lo- podcast line that podcast r5 podcast.com slash contacts uh
0: <laughs> yes there you go yep
1: calling the hotline six five forty two ten speaking about the hotline let's over to sage advice
0: sage advice
1: this is sage advice i am dm vince Reporting live. No, I just want to start like Nick used to start segments anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shut up.
1: It's like, this is Table Matters. I'm DM Nick reporting. It's like, Nick, you, we know who you are already. <laughs> Listen to older shows. You'll get the joke.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. We love you, Nick. Uh, I love me too.
1: First issue comes, first email comes at RFI podcast, RFI staff at gmail.com. I can't remember our email address. RFI staff at dot com. There. Or you can go to our web page and hit contact us, email us, and we'll uh, get your email. Someone did write an email in saying, I can't find your email address anywhere. It's not on <laughs> the web page.
0: Well. Huh? How did you email us then?
1: <laughs> yeah. He went to the web page and hit contact us. We did that on purpose, actually. So you listen to the show. No, we did that on purpose so we don't get spammed. If you put the email address on a web page, those bots come around and just pull the email address off and start yeah. spamming the heck out of you.
0: And we don't like that.
1: Thus is why either you get the email address from the podcast itself by listening or go to contact us. Right. The first email comes in from DM Kojo.
0: No way. Yes way. Oh my gosh. DM Kojo again?
1: Yeah, DM Kojo's been a star recently. He's been on the Thacko's Hammer podcast twice.
2: Well, it? well, well. Yeah. Yeah. Making his rounds.
1: Yeah. He's such a super fan of their show that they invited him to come on for a couple episodes. Mm, cool. Anyway, he, he writes in says, say, guys, in addition to this excellent podcast, another that I often do listen to is the Misatonic. How do you pronounce that?
0: Misatonic. Misatonic University.
1: Thank you for the call through RPG. In episode, yeah,
0: that's what? That's a good one.
1: Oh, in episode twenty-two, one of their hosts, Keeper John, gave RFI a big shout-out to their listeners. He spoke of his love of first edition and how he listens to RFI, even though he hasn't played D anD D in decades. This got me to thinking: which Cthulhu mythos creature have you used in your D anD D games?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. or which ones might be ripe for conversion? I know some are covered in the original printing of the Edenese demigods, but there is also much more out there to sample. I specifically thought that. I don't know how to pronounce half these names. Bayaki? Bayaki? D- Bayaki. Bayaki? Mm hmm. Of Tindalos? Hounds
0: of Tindalos?
1: And Galaki would be great monsters to import. What are your thoughts, DM Kojo? Nick, it's your experience in that. Go.
0: Um, Actually, the original deities and demigods uh, book did have the byaki stats in them um but uh i don't know about hounds of Tindalos. those would be really nasty because they're like interdimensional they come through the angles of space so you know (laughs) that would be something akin to i don't know i guess you would they would maybe be in the astral or ethereal plane. I don't know how you would play them, but, uh, or Glacky would be a pretty good nasty one to do as well. But yeah, I've, as far as like using them campaign, um, definitely. It it adds a, a different flavor to the campaign, in my opinion. You know, if you want something a little bit more, you know, like high fantasy as far as like being more like Tolkien-ish. I don't know if it really fits, but if you want it more like a sword and sorcery kind of, of a, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard kind of feel who Robert E. Howard was a contemporary of Lovecraft. You know, they corresponded. Uh, yeah. I mean, that would fit really well. I I've used all the mythos in my campaign. Uh, uh, and um, maybe planning to do that in the near future. So,
1: yeah.
2: okay, yeah. I've yeah. never actually used anything out of the uh, Cthulhu Mythos. In um, t- t- as a confession, I've never actually read any HP Lovecraft. Ooh. I know what I—I I have not read any Lovecraft. Just really? stop now and just go read some. Just yeah. now, yeah. go. Uh, I have used Cthulhu in a Marvel superheroes role playing game.
0: Yes, you told me about that and it sounded really cool. Yes.
2: <laughs> not not I just went Nazis Cthulhu writes itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, really. very sound like Hellboy in a way.
2: Yeah. But yeah, other than that I've I'm horribly ignorant when it comes to the Cthulhu mythos.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, Lovecraft's work has fallen into the public domain. Dun, dun, dun. So and a few and a few years back, the Library of Congress did a collection of Lovecraft's works that were printed. You know how they did a whole bunch of them for Jefferson yeah. and some of the other great American authors? Uh, Lovecraft was one of them, and it was part of that series. Um, and just reaching off my my shelf here, the deities and demigods, for the person who to know about, like, Bayaki mm-hmm. – um. Yeah, they're all statted out in there, and I think if you do a search online, you might be able to find, you know, the the Cthulhu mythos statted out for AD and D somewhere.
2: Yeah, I so. think I have some eBooks of some of them. I've just never got around to reading them. Yeah.
0: So uh, it's it's not hard to do. I'm sure you could find something. It. it, it I mean, I don't know if I would actually stat out the. You know, what would be quote unquote the gods of the mythos, mm-hmm. but a lot of the creatures like deep ones, Bayaki, uh, Hounds of Tindalos, um, you know, those would be, you know, you could stat those out pretty well. I mean, deep ones are pretty much like Kuotoa in a way, if you want to find something now analogous what's going on in ADN now. So, but, um, yeah, it, if you do, in my opinion, if you, add those into a campaign it's definitely going to take a darker turn so (laughs) just keep that in mind depends how lighthearted your game's going to be I I don't know it's up to you as a DM but I like I like using them I mean it was originally part of the whole AD&D mystique from the very beginning I mean it was one of the influences was Lovecraft's work so I can't I can't see how you can you could uh, go on without it Yay. All we need is more tentacles. <laughs> Whoa, well, now. It's kind of personal. No, not that kind. Oh, okay. As in Cthuloid horrors from beyond space and time, we want to suck your soul out through your nostrils. Uh. Or other orifices, but let's, this is a family podcast, so.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. Thanks, DM Cojo. I've never actually used them myself either, so I can't really comment my apologies.
2: Yeah. Mm. And I actually have found online a link to the audiobooks books, uh, mm-hmm. like the collected public domain works of H.P. Lovecraft in audiobook form. I'm like yep. a big audiobook guy, so
0: Oh yeah, there's a, even on YouTube. Absolutely. There's audiobooks you can listen to of the of the story the call of Cthulhu um what's at the mountains of madness, I think there's an audiobook of um uh, some of his earlier, uh, you know, lesser, you know, s- smaller works. So, The Doom That Came, The Sarnath, uh, yeah, they're all out there.
1: Cool. All right, thank you, DM Kojo. Second email comes in from Ed, he was talking about the monk episode being broken and it fails at the end. He said, uh, is there any way to fix this unless monks are now ninjas and they disappear on spawn? <laughs> he also wants to oh, know, sh- <laughs> "Yeah, and if there's a problem, how do I get the podcast and what can I do to rectify the situation if I need to, you know, listen. Matt, I'll drop
2: that over to you. I went and checked the download. I would just go ahead and try re-downloading it. Um, it appeared to be everything uh, was there for me. It didn't cut out, um, so... Just try re downloading it and see if that works. You can also, if you go into our uh, archive.org thing, it's a Roll for Initiative podcast, all one word. I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It's basically an archive of all of our shows that just has direct download links as well. So if, for whatever reason, you happen to see a post of a show and it doesn't show up in your iTunes feed, uh, that you can go to this site and download them. Like, if I, say, upload a show at, like, 1230 at night and forget to, like, update the RSS feed, you can go to this page and download it. Or you can wait till me (coughs) to fix it. Issue 137. 137. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'll throw a link to the direct download page uh, for all of our shows, so that way you can also go there and try it. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Yeah. So
1: next one comes in from, thank you, Ed. Next one comes in from Keith. And um, this is the one about the email address on the site uh, I was talking about. Uh, that'll that at the end of the email. He has two things. One, you're asking for stars on iTunes. I think, making, I think you're making your podcast very iTunes friendly, but I only use my PC and I copy and paste the very difficult to see link in each show notes page to get the download page. I'd give you guys five stars for everything except the ease of getting the show. Then I'd give it three and a half. So I guess average of above four stars. That's pretty darn good. Well, Comment on that one, anybody?
2: Um, I'm just curious of what was the complicated download link?
1: I don't know. I thought you just posted. I, as far as when I go to the actual web page, it just shows the link right there. I right.
2: Mean, you just should be able to just click download um, unless you're seeing our show notes elsewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. You click on read
0: more and uh, you know about the show and then there's, yeah, there's, you know what? Maybe you can either play it from the, from the website. You can click and play in a new window or click on download.
1: I'm thinking yeah. either, A, he's on his phone, which might be a Android phone, and a lot of times they have problems downloading.
2: Yeah, yeah there you go. You might be right yeah, there. Yeah, mobile device could be a little wacky. All yeah,
0: right. it could be a little wonky. That's true.
1: And I know if you hit, a lot of times, hit our episodes in Chrome, it'll bring you to that weird, wacky... Uh...
2: Oh, yeah, it actually opens up the XML as opposed yeah. to actually just downloading mm-hmm. it. All right. Yeah.
0: So it depends on what browser you might be using on your computer right. too. Where
2: this is where the I'm posting links to our direct downloads page over at archive.org. I, this may you should try using that. It may be a little more user friendly.
1: Or I think we have a feed burner address too.
2: Yes, actually we do. Well, I
0: know it, for the show. It's friendly for both Internet Explorer and Mozilla Firefox, and I use Firefox.
1: If you click on the Get Our Podcast RSS feed logo itself, yep, it brings you right to our giant logo, and it brings you to all the episodes in Feedburner, showing you all the episodes. And all you have to do is hit Play Now.
0: There you go. Yeah, and there it is. There's well, all the right- episodes from the RSS feed.
1: But I have a feeling he might be on his mobile phone, so that might be. The- I've, I've seen that happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, mobile phones are a little different. I mean, you know, they just don't... Some of the things just don't line up with whatever whatever browser might be in that phone.
1: Anyway, part two of his email, number two, because he said two things. As a person that plays second edition, I didn't know there was one, or Coral Cthulhu, I went over my Dragon Magazine collection and pulled out issue number 148 to take a look at the updated Cavalier. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting, but what I found more interesting on page 35 in the Arcane Lore section, they they explained how certain spells actually have healing properties, well, sort of. I'm not sure how much of this crossed over into 1E, but did it make it in, I think. Is these spells fudging things in a way I like or not? Would I keep them in my future games? Keep up the good work? Sorry for not installing to give you stars if there's another way please tell me how Keith oh by the way you don't have your email address email address on your site strange well we explained that one already
0: because we don't want to get spammed by a spam bot
1: yeah and I don't remember seeing anything about healing properties and spells anyone else
0: yeah it's in that dragon magazine article that they had uh, we referenced to but yeah. um, there's nothing that I know of in first edition. Yeah, but, I think it was. I mean, I wouldn't see a problem with porting some of this stuff over to first edition. I mean, the, how the spells are detailed in the article, yeah. I mean, they, they're the same thing. I mean, level, range, duration, components, casting time, saving throw, area of effect, in the description, I mean... It's all right there. I mean, yeah. Why not use it? If that's something that you're interested for your campaign, if you're doing for first edition, why not do it?
2: Okay, cool.
1: I would say, yeah, if you want to use whatever you want, if that works for your game, then do it. If it doesn't, don't. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Yeah.
1: I'm one of the people that doesn't happen to really use Dragon Magazines in their game. I've read them. I like them. I just don't take them as, like, you know, rule expansions
0: i do find it funny that he mentioned that uh issue 148 about the uh the corrected cavalier i was just looking at that yeah today and i'm like you know what i think if i'm going to do the cavalier again in my campaign i'm going to use the one on dragon magazine they fix a lot of things in that about yeah. the cavalier that just make the cavalier just way too overpowerful
1: it does it does correct it. I did print that out when I was playing locally for when I was using the other mm-hmm. because I didn't like the Cavalier as it was
0: yeah, and on Earth art can I have to say you know it's it's pretty damn powerful, <laughs> you know it 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 almost makes paladins look weak, so yeah,
1: oh well, all right, thank you, Keith. Another email comes in from Andy. He was part of the Book of Sorrows group. He was the um, one of my characters in the group.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: Quick question for the host of RFI about blindness, specifically fighting blind. I know that characters attempting to attack an invisible creature have a negative four to their attack rolls, and that only if they have a general idea of where the visible, invisible, excuse me, person or creature is. I'm curious about the ability to attack when a target of an attack isn't invisible, but still hard or impossible to see because the attacker has been blinded, either by a light spell cast on his face or blinded by some other means, blindness, spell, poison, etc. Currently, I am applying a similar negative 4 penalty to hit, but wondering if that is adequate. Hmm. If a character is blinded, isn't there also a fair chance that he'll accidentally hit his own teammate as he would hit an enemy? How do you take this into account? What would... What do you find folks do in your own games when it comes to fighting blind? Thanks in advance for the help and keep on rolling.
0: Hmm. Blindness spell. Isn't that a cleric spell?
1: Yeah, I believe so. Hmm. Well, negative four attack is definitely is the proper thing to do. You can always do things of when the person's attacking is a DM. You could roll a 50% chance in the background of, say two people were fighting side by side there's a chance that he might just accidentally swing and hit his his friend next to him right. yeah. mm-hmm. Ooh, that back-
2: sounds
0: reasonable to me
2: yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds good to me or if they're blinded before they're engaged in combat you could have some fun there and it would be like out of robin hood men in tights when abe blinken was a blah, blah, destroying like a what tree. what was or-
0: that i thought you said abe blinken
2: <laughs> yeah. abe blinken But, yeah, all of a sudden you're hacking at something and realize it's not actually even, like, a person. It's like a tree or something. Mm -hmm.
1: So I I would say if you were blinded before combat, you can just have a roll percentage that as soon as the player moves forward or backwards. As a DM, I would pull all the monsters off the playing field. And have a general idea on your little map in front of you where the monsters are compared to the players, and uh i would I would think I don't know it kind of would be hard to do it. I mean, moving forward diagonally, have the players move their combat and tell them just move that direction and, and players bump into each other, you can roll on your chart behind the screen to see if maybe they would attack each other because they mm-hmm. bang into something,, go, oh, it's an enemy, then you can give them a chance to sniff, smell. Right. Wait, obviously, but, you know, I would do that. Yeah, maybe
2: give them, like, a wisdom check to see if they can maybe pinpoint where the uh, enemy is in relationship to them and or when they move. Uh, Maybe use, like, the uh, Lost in the Wilderness chart for random movement. Oh, that's a good idea.
0: Oh, that is a good idea.
2: So, Or yeah. Yeah.
0: It, you can maybe get around some of that is if you're if you're using non weaponcy proficiencies like uh the wilderness survival guide or the survival guide there's one uh the blind fighting skill
1: oh that's even that's even better um use the lost and have them roll a d6 for every square they have to move and that's where the that's where they go
0: right yeah and yeah they- if they don't have a s- appropriate skill yeah if they're lost that would be perfect yeah
1: yeah, roll d six, you know, and just use plot out the sixes as, as the points of which way to go. And if they go backwards, they go backwards. If they go forward, they go forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see players crashing into each other and attacking each other. It'd be a lot of fun, right?
2: It w- <laughs> if you want real chaos, ha- make both sides blind. <laughs> you want real chaos? Turn the lights out. Yes,
0: <laughs> let's see what happens. Do you want real chaos? Someone lets loose a grease spell. <laughs>
1: Blind grease. I it on fire. No, I'm
0: kidding. (laughs) And then a stinking cloud. Uh,
1: uh. Someone did that one of my games. They actually did a stinking cloud inside the lungs of one of the monsters. It's nasty. (laughs) Yeah. Because he heard the episode about the water filling the the lungs of the NPC to kill them. So he decided to do the stinking cloud inside the giant's mouth. I mean, lungs. I said, all right, why not?
2: Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> worked,
1: but it also came out of his mouth and stunk up the whole room too. Right.
2: Yeah. It's but it did work. It did kill over the monster. <laughs> that would be a good way to uh, incapacitate pretty much anything. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go, Andy. Hope
1: you uh, keep on listening. Last email comes in from Jesse. He said that he heard that DM Vince has started a Texas chapter of the Dead Game Society. Wonder if you get more information about it. Yes, I did. I am president of the Texas chapter of the Dead Game Society. Um, there's no real information about it. I'm still working up a web page for it as we speak. There's only uh, the minimum amount of members right now of five, and that's the local people here. Uh, for joining it, uh, I'll email further information as it comes along. Uh, yes, anybody can join as long as they're in Texas, of course. It's no, no fees or anything like that. It's just a matter of wanting to join.
0: I should start an Ohio chapter. You can. Want to be my first member? Sure. Have, Matt? At least yeah. Up.
1: I think cool. Chad said to join the society, you have to at least have uh, four members with you. Otherwise, you can't really be a chapter by yourself. So. Oh, okay. You have to have some people in your charter. So,
0: All right. I'll work on it.
1: <laughs> so there you go. Up and coming the Ohio chapter of the Dead Game Society.
0: Start, I'll work on it. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, Nick. And then Matt with the uh, Chicago area. No, that'd be, that gave society the original. But... Yeah, that's the
2: that's the OG DGS. Yeah, I think you
1: probably fall under the OG then.
2: Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, Cincinnati? No, Cincinnati's more Lake Geneva South. They, yeah, you, you can cover that area if you want. You can
0: cover Southern Ohio and Kentucky. Yes.
2: I, I shall cover the tri-state area.
0: Yes, I'll cover hey, North, hey, North
1: The tri-state area is New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania.
2: No, it's Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana. Yes. Depends on where you live, I guess. Yes. There's many tri-state areas, except for No, that-
0: it's Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana.
2: No. <laughs> except for that one place where, like, there's five states intersect at once. That's the Quatro uh, Sync area. Or Cinco huh? State area.
1: Yes. Or like oh. Arrested Development Cinco de Cuatro. Cinco de Cuatro. <laughs> Instead of Cinco de Mayo. It's the day before that you celebrate. Watch Arrested Development to get that joke. Anyway. All right. RFI staff at gmail.com. Go to our website, RFIPodcast.com. Contact us. 5708... 5708654210. The hotline. OSRgaming.org oh, is our forums. You can find us on Facebook. Slash rfi podcast. You can follow us on Twitter for show announcements, RFI podcast, or that's about it. <laughs> or you can find us on Facebook if you can find us. I'm probably slash DM Vince. I don't know. My Facebook. I don't really give it out. So <laughs> you can definitely find us on G+. We actually, Oh, oh well, yeah, on G+, we have our own group now. Yes. It is uh, RFI podcast on G+. It's a group. You could follow it. And we list our shows on there. Speaking
2: of which, I have to post up the new show, which I forgot to do. Yeah, I'm not a big G-plus guy, and I always forget to post shows there. You were a G-plus person. I'm on there, but I
1: don't actually ever go there. Oh, I thought you were like one of the G-plus, like, you know, flag
2: wavers or something. No, no. Half the time I forget it even exists until I get an email. Someone added you to your circle in G-plus. I'm like, oh. What circle (laughs) is that? (laughs) I get that all the time. Someone added you to your circle. It's like, "Oh, all right, cool." Yeah. I'm like, "Who are you? How do you know me?"
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how we know you. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so that's enough for sage advice and let's head into um blah 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 blah. blah. Tail matters.
2: That's it. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> yes. Yes, really. We've been doing this podcast for 138 shows.
1: Uh, you know, we've had, what, the last four weeks off, even though you guys had
2: shows. So. All <laughs> right. <laughs> the joys of staggered release schedules. We can fake mm-hmm. vacations. Yep. We it's can. a lovely thing. Yep. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, we like to find one with table manners. And what are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table
0: manners on the planet. Table manners. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Christopher Walken? <laughs> I was completely out of it.
2: Apparently you were. <laughs> yes. Wow. We Yeah, we, we take a little break and we just fall apart. <laughs>
0: I know. Anyway, in Table Manners. Yeah, we'll just leave that in. In Table Manners, uh, we're going to go back to Anne Magazine uh, to their spring 2014 issue. And they've been around for, what, two years now? So we're going to kind of do a compare and contrast between issue one and issue eight, give you an idea of what's in the new issue and just how far they've come and they've it's become a fantastic magazine for oh, for yeah. first edition a d and d and some other material so let's just head right on into it
1: well if you want to first of all if you want to find you need to go to end hyphen mag
2: i believe it is
1: yeah
0: and
2: hyphenmag
1: dot com and you can mm-hmm. find. The magazine issue number eight just dropped, so uh, we figured it would be a good time to jump in there and compare two years later versus our show we did on issue number one, mm-hmm. and this time we decided to uh, keep the guys out uh, just so we can just go over the show without them sitting here and just sitting there uncomfortably <laughs> answering questions.
0: So. Yep, we also have a link to anmag.com on the RFI website. If you scroll down, there is a there is a link to it, so you can go to us and... And just click on that link.
1: Yeah, just click on the little uh logo there on the right hand side that says mm-hmm. magazine. hmm And download their magazine. So and that's m a g dot com. The only free first edition really majority of the content magazine out there. And uh comparing just just the comparison, quick overview look. Versus issue number one, I want to say it has doubled in size for one. So first, oh, issue, yeah, 51 pages. I'm looking at it. And now we're up to 91 page, 91 or 96?
2: 96. 96.
1: 96. It's, so we're almost double in pages now. Yep. Almost. Uh, the layout is 900 times more professional looking. Yeah. The graphics yeah. are better. Uh, they have really, like, like Matt was saying before the show, it, I mean, if this was a real magazine to, to pay for, and I'd that, pay for it. Yeah, yeah, we all would definitely be, we'll be putting our dollars down for yeah. this. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's basically
2: okay. evolved from a fanzine to an actual magazine. Yes, the way to look at it. That's and they aptly have, put. With their staff, with Brian Fazekas and uh, Ronald Redman,
1: heading up the pr- uh, public relations department, has done a wonderful job of uh, promoting the magazine. And uh, Andrew Hamilton, I believe his name is. I'm sorry, Andrew, if I got your name wrong, but. <laughs> He's one of the uh, writers uh, with the magazine, does a wonderful job. He's helped out. They're on our forums constantly chatting it up about the magazine, looking for feedback. Uh, You can always send in information to them. We'll get into that a little bit later. But versus one versus eight, big difference, wonderful difference. I'm definitely going to say thumbs up for this. So over to Matt, what does he think?
2: Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, this is for those people that – thought Gygax magazine just wasn't filling their niche because they wanted more of a retro game magazine. This is it. You really should check out Anne magazine because yep. it's all first edition or stuff compatible with the retro clones that and it's just so great stuff. Uh, this issue focuses mostly on urban campaigns and you have everything from new classes, a campaign setting, magic items Then there's also just using monsters in an urban environment that actually benefits the city and the monster, as opposed to Mm -hmm. just having creatures go about wrecking chaos. There's just so much in here, and it's just a great magazine. The layout, so much better. It it feels very professionally done. Yeah, yeah, I can't recommend it high enough. The fact that it's free means you should already have downloaded it. So, yeah, download it now exactly yes. now
0: stop listening
2: download yes no 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 hit put
1: pause on the show Well, that's
0: what i meant pause and then download and then come back and listen and read
2: exactly that way you can Best follow along. Worlds. yeah you can follow along as we talk about it
0: exactly all right
2: this is the chance to pause everyone be quiet
0: okay now
1: all right now <laughs> you should be back unpaused and now let's go to nick with his opinion and uh going forward to lead us in this discussion
0: Go ahead, yeah, you know, uh, just right off from Issue 1 comparing to Issue 8, um, Issue 1 was about low-level adventuring, and that was the bulk of the, uh, of the magazine for Issue 1. It was all about low-leveling. Now, Issue 8, yeah, they talk about urban adventures, but that's not just the bulk of the issue. There's a lot of other stuff going on in this issue besides talking about urban adventures and urban campaign. There's good bonus articles about frost giant shamans, hex crawls, and we'll talk about that later. It's actually one of my favorite parts of of this current issue. And um, so not only has it – by growing in size – it's given a lot more content, not just devoting the one particular theme. So that was one of the things I really liked. So there's a lot more variety that that you're going to get in the current issue.
1: Quick quick uh, stop for a second. I just want to say that Gygax Magazine, because uh, Matt commented on that before, is not an old school gaming magazine. It's meant to cover all RPGs and all board games, not just old school, even though it says Gygax on the cover.
2: Right, right.
1: that's
0: that exactly right.
1: Just want to stress that because I I know Jason always kind of cringes when someone says I thought it was supposed to be old school, dude. It's not.
0: They so. cover all sorts of gaming, and that's how it was initially. That's what was an original intention. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: But anyway, so uh, continue, Nick. Sorry about that.
0: Yeah. No. No. That's perfectly fine. That's that's a good little disclaimer that they're in there. Now, at, right out the beginning, I like the. Um, they have the and musings by Brian. It gives basically his thoughts being the chief editor of the, of the magazine and talk about how far they've come in the past couple of years and just talking about, you know, how much material they've been getting too. So they begin a lot of good feedback is, and I guess some of the n- negative feedback is, is just complained about articles we don't publish. <laughs> so, you know, give them time, you know. I mean, it's pretty much a quarterly or a season magazine. So they are – they have lots of material. And if you want to send them in, you can always check the magazine where you put your submissions to. Uh,
2: so that be submission. Submissions
0: at, at, at com. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we get into, actually, I love this next article by Dan Razia, D&D, The Next Generation. <sighs> I, a one page, just little, almost, I guess, I guess an editorial, you might want to call it. I guess that would be the best way to call it. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah, and just talk about, you know, what the next generation of gamers uh, that have, that there was some of the advantages that they have over Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Cause now, you know, you know, people like us and maybe our kids, they've grown up with D and D and there's, a, it's a really good article about that.
1: And it, it makes it, you think. It does because he, they, he is essentially right. They, Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson, blah, 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 all the people that wrote for the the original didn't grow up playing these games. Yeah. They grew up playing cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers. Mm-hmm. Probably battle war games with miniatures. What was that right. old football game when you put the pieces down? You put it on, it shakes and goes, zzzz, and that oh, was oh confused. my gosh, oh, yeah, electric that electric football. Yeah, electric football. It like shook everywhere, and it was just kind of hilarious to watch where everything went. Uh, they grew up on that stuff. Well, people like myself, Nick, Matt, Chad, uh, you know, Jason, Will, everyone that was on this show, and everyone that plays the game right now have grown up playing D anD. d So it's not like. We have we we, have, we do have an advantage over them because we were able to harness our child childlike imagination and put it to good use. And I'm going to say Gygax, Arneson, every one of them that created it would be the sh- – we would stand on their shoulders for everything that we've done, anything that we've done in our life. So if someone played D&D when they were a kid and is now a movie director, they owe their – career to Guy Gags and Arneson. Oh, yeah. Without them, they would have maybe never harnessed the imagination or the creative thought that D&D promotes yep. to help you go. Because I, I know I wouldn't be as creative as I would be without D&D. will mm-hmm. admit it. Yeah. Yeah, I Me mean, too,
2: yeah, by far. You could even look at even video games, the influence D&D had on the video game genre. Because all... All those RPGs that people play, your Final Fantasies and everything, the, you can trace the roots and the evolution of like RPGs and video games to D anD. D. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the first computer games was a fantasy base game called Adventure. So.
2: Yep.
0: <laughs> and it was played like on. I think it was, I, I it could was, be wrong on this. It was played probably on the. Uh, it was a uh, twenty six hundred. Yeah. Yep. And. But I mean, like getting on what Vince said, it, us the I guess the generation after them. You know, we we were the ones that were. How do I put this?
2: We're, um, we're the ones that reap the benefit from them blazing the trail. They're exactly, the, they're the ones that had to put in all the real work in base creating the path for us to follow. Mm-hmm. They didn't know there wasn't a like preconceived notions of what is a role playing game.
0: Right. And it was also, and it's also up to us as like that next generation to carry that, to carry the torch, you know, the, into our kids. If, you know, we have our own or we have, you know, nieces and nephews right. or, or even just other kids in your community. If you want to start a gaming club, right. you know, it's up to us, you know, we 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 can we can look back and it's like I can't hardly ever remember a time without D and D or any other role playing games in my life. It was become a part. It's become a part of our lives. Right. So, and it's up to us. Like I said, to to carry on that tradition, right. and we can do that with with our kids and with or or just the kids of this next generation. Right. And it's it's a bit of a responsibility.
2: Yeah, and. And it may, the D&D they play may not resemble ours, but it still doesn't mean they can't get the same benefits of the increased creativity, the enjoyment, the memories and experiences through D&D. Yeah, the rule set could be different, but they're still gaming. They're still getting, having that experience, and that's what's important.
0: And Uh, I think it's up to us to kind of be like the, so they don't lose the, the, I don't know, the
2: essence, the spirit right. of the game. We're, we're the shepherds that mm-hmm. right, kind of guide them along. Yeah, they'll find their own path, but we can say this. Remember where you this came from and just yeah. give them an appreciation of the past. Even if it's like the OSR isn't their preferred flavor, they can still have an appreciation for the foundations of RPGs.
0: And I've you know what, and then that's an interesting point because I've actually um, heard that from from other people in either other forums or um, you know from maybe other podcasts where there were players who started with third edition or fourth or whatever, and um, they've heard from other people it's like what is first edition DND or what are those little brown books all about, and they've actually looked into them. And they played a few times, and they've liked them, and they play that too. Mm-hmm. They've gotten interested in the literature associated with them. Right. So it kind of snowballs for, for those people. They, they It's almost like opening up a treasure trove, and it's like, wow, I discovered this whole other level of, of imagination beyond what i've already learned here i can i can learn so much more i can add so much more to my imagination and to my games and whatever they may be cool yeah
1: <laughs> it's so cool. that's basically our thoughts on that dnd the next generation mm. what do we got next nick
0: well i guess the next article i thought was it was different it was a little a little uh Weird for me to, to read is the Life Swarms with Innocent Monsters by Michael Coronet. And this one's about basically using monsters in an urban campaign, in an urban environment. And I guess using them in a, I guess, a public service sort of way. Would that be the best way to describe it, their events?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, how could we use these creatures that pretty much in the wild will just make our lives pretty miserable and actually use them to our advantage to benefit society? I was mm-hmm. personally amused by the concept of wizards renting out cloakers to women <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that way they can be warm during, like, snowstorms.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, some of this article I could, I could I liked. Some of it I'm like – you know, that might just be a little too much. I like to keep the monsters mostly out there in the wilds. Yeah. I don't like to use a whole lot of stuff as like I don't want them I don't want them to be too common, you know. Yeah.
2: I guess it depends on the how you look at your monsters. Like in specific like the right. non-intelligent ones. Are they basically mm-hmm. just that world's version of animals or are they something a little more than that?
0: Right, right. I guess that's how your how your campaign world is. Right. Exactly right.
2: Yeah, because if you see them as being more animal-like, then at that point, yeah, I could see the humans doing things mm-hmm. like this. Like, either using like some of your more exotic monsters as pets. Right. Or actually uh, herding some, like, owl bears and using them for meat. Mm-hmm. As opposed mm. to cattle. Like, so... It just depends on your outlook on how monsters fit into your world. Are they special or are they just these random – these mythical beasts that uh, inhabit the wilderness?
0: I I thought it was interesting like uh, the part we was talking about for food using – I think it was – what was it? Carrion crawlers as a creature that could paralyze livestock when they're brought in to slaughter. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought that's an interesting idea. Never yes. thought of
2: that. Right, or using giant beetles as garbage eaters.
0: Right, right, and some of that might kind of happen in, in a in natural roundabout way. For example, like I'm thinking for like for my water deep campaign, I might be using one of the things that they might use for sanitation, like down in the sewers, is gelatinous cubes. Right, you it's know? something
2: we've joked about in the past, but yeah, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. It makes
0: yeah. perfect sense, you know. And those are things that maybe that the city themselves did not, uh, you know, particularly plan on using, but maybe they're like they get a report saying, oh, you know, what? gelatinous cube has just set itself up in the, uh, in the sewers down there because of our, our, uh, our repair crew was down there and they managed to run in the one and, and the, and they, probably the lords of war like you know what fine let it clean up that's what it does you know <laughs> just don't bother it
1: <laughs> yeah sounds good
0: <laughs> Vince you got anything on that
1: <laughs> no I, you guys pretty much said it all so I can't I really do that
0: some of it, but like I said I don't know some of them I just don't want to make the monsters too common like the whole cloaker thing you know
1: yeah yeah and, and yeah oh gelatinous cubes coming through let's just step out of the way
0: yeah i but i think uh matt's right that it depends on what the monsters are in your game world are they just as or is a gelatinous cube just as common as a cockroach or not you know yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know
1: i guess in your world you could do whatever you want but like nick is saying you don't want to make things too common
0: yeah, and and then it becomes boring after a while. Then it's like, oh well, so what? It's just a bunch of carrying crawlers working uh, with
2: the bush shop, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I think the ideas used in this article are best if you maybe pick one or two. Don't use them all, so that way it's yeah. Like, that way it gives character to your city without just being okay. This is just becoming some sort of weird uh, parody of a city at this point.
0: Right. The only other place I would think that would work. Is if you want to go a little overboard is like if you're if you had a city that was like underground you know a yeah. whole like a whole drow city you know how kind of elaborate and weird that could be right I mean I don't think you can go too overboard there
1: no probably not hmm. some interesting little thoughts there
0: yeah there's a lot of good there's a lot of good uh, you know one or two things that you might want to take out of that
1: all right. So, what do we have up next?
0: Um, next, I guess, uh, kind of going with this whole urban idea is the business of adventuring, and it's by Nicole Massey.
1: It was the and, magazine actually? Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. And Nicole writes an article about how towns conduct their business in in a, I guess, I'd call it a quasi-medieval uh, setting, and how you can put adventure seeds and plot hooks into a city adventure. Yeah. And she pretty much starts off like most DMs. They're perfectly comfortable running a you know, your standard dungeon crawl and having the town nearby where they go back from time to time. But where a lot of DMs where they'll kind of stare like deer in headlights, let's do a whole campaign and just in a the city, they get all freaky. And mm-hmm. I have to admit, I was one of those DMs yeah you know it's like I thought, oh, I don't know if I could do a city adventure. It just seems too complex and everything well it it depends on how complex you wanna make it and She kind of goes into some some ideas, some things that you can do as a dungeon master if you're gonna make an urban campaign in a in a city or a town how however big you wanna make it, some of those plot hooks, those adventure seats that you could put on there, and you can have a lot of fun in an urban campaign.
1: And you don't have to just use the traditional tavern. Everybody meets there, the guy in the corner. I mean, you can have an adventure starting from anywhere starting from the magic shop. It could be starting from, Oh, I don't know from someone's hotel room. It could be starting Mm -hmm. the sewer. You find a note in a sewer that leads to a clue for something. And you find that someone's been
2: murdered, but you don't have to just start in a tavern every time. Right. Maybe there's some big uh, festival going down in the main of the city. Hmm.
0: And she brought up the point about just the simple fact that we're talking about a pseudo-quasi-medieval setting. It's not a assembly line type society where things are made and easily disposed of. You have to get the raw materials. Things are individually made and then they're purchased. And if those raw materials are in short demand – How are you going to make those things like she talks about, you know, the cobbler and how he needs boots and shoes are made to the person and and you can actually maybe form a whole sort of mini adventure around that. Maybe the the guild of cobblers, they're short on on leather (laughs) and they need to and they need to find out why there is a shortage Right. It's coming from a certain area. Maybe they've heard some, like, maybe there have been bandits attacking, uh, uh, raiding the the caravans.
2: You know, however you want to take it. Right. Maybe the uh, cattle that they were using to their hides to tan the leather, all of a sudden herds are turning up dead. Mm-hmm. Disappear entirely, maybe. Yes. And they
0: have some strange markings upon them. Right.
2: They're all drained of their blood.
0: Mm-hmm. Are we talking about like black helicopters at the night from the government now?
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, now we're
0: talking Call of Cthulhu stuff. Black
2: griffins. Black griffins.
0: (laughs) Black griffins with headlights. Yes. (laughs) On their heads, (laughs) coming in the middle of the night, sucking the blood out of the cattle. No, but besides joking aside, you can build just a simple. supply and demand type mini adventure around something like that. Right. And maybe even build upon that. Maybe there's some other nefarious plot. Maybe it's not just the the, the amount of leather. Maybe there's some other things that are disappearing in the supply chain.
2: Right. Ma- Who's ma- behind it all? Yeah. Maybe the blacksmiths having a shortage in metal. And the reason that shortage in metal is one of the enemies of the city is actually cutting the supply off and building their own army.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can lead off to a whole bunch of stuff, right. so that's like one of the things that she talks about. And also the people of the of the of the city, you know, maybe someone who or maybe someone who disappears who's prominent could you could form a whole adventure around that, mm-hmm. or someone new that pops
2: up. Right. right. So, yeah, I, I think city adventures scare people a lot because when you first think of it on the surface, you're like how am I going to kill things? Mm-hmm. Cause you can't just go around like it's, it's not going to be very combat heavy at first until you start venturing deeper into the story because you're not just not going to go kicking doors down in cities and like hacking people up.
0: Right. Right. There's going to be a lot more role playing involved. Right. But um, some people might be uncomfortable with that, but you know what? I found out, Just for example, the 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 nightly campaign my friend Jeff's doing, it's a lot more role playing and political involved, and we're having a blast. Doesn't mean we're not having like you know combat happen now and then, but a campaign where like in an urban environment, you're going to have more role playing stuff involved. It's you're going to really get into your character and learn, and it also makes the DM work a little bit more as playing NPCs even better too. Hmm. so that's a really good article about urban uh adventures urban campaigns and just as a dm you don't have to be afraid of of doing a whole setting just right there there's some really good tidbits of information which goes right into you know what about a certain character class you think that might not work into a campaign like the druid for example you think a druid could work in an urban campaign well mr leonard Lakofka has a lovely article about the druid in dungeons and towns and does an excellent breakdown of everything that, you know, the druid could do.
1: It does break it down a lot, but it just, I don't know, it seems like I'm looking at it as a power gaming point of view, though.
0: Yeah, it could be, but I think it's just giving, you know... um the person who's playing a druid is like, you know what? You're not entirely useless in an urban environment or in a dungeon. Right.
1: Well, not every cl- – I don't know why people think classes are useless. There's always a use for every player right. in the game, no matter what class they are. And I know people are like, oh, magic uses blow. It's like there's plenty of things you could do after you blast off right. the one spell. And we've done – Right. A- yeah. Show advices on that. So.
0: But I think this article was like geared toward those people who – who get who have this stereotypical mm-hmm. thought that the druid is just some hippie out in the forest, right. you know, protecting the trees and the wildlife. Smoking
1: right? weed. Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> smoking weed. But no, <laughs> it's not entirely like that. They right. are useful in urban and dungeon environments.
2: Yeah, th- with this article, just look at is it as more an example in creative uh, use of magic and spells. It's just more... And you could even... Take the concepts of this article and apply it to pretty much any class just to have a different take on a given Mm -hmm. class. And I think that's the bigger thing, just saying, hey, on the surface it doesn't look like a Drew would be all that useful. Here's actually how it could if you just change your perspective a little bit.
0: Right, and I think the key word was, like you said, be creative. Be creative with your character.
1: I like the druid class overall as a class, and I think it's cool. The only thing I hate about it is that neutral alignment. That's the only thing I hate about yeah. it. If that was any different, I would probably love it.
0: You'd probably tend to think it'd be more like neutral good.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why. Why they have to be pure neutral? I don't really. I understand nature and balance, but that is way too difficult for a player to 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 use in a game. Mm, and, it yeah. can be. And then for a DM to adjudicate that constantly is going to be a pain in the butt.
0: Yeah, it could be tough. That's true.
1: But you're going to have players not intentionally treading the line of what is considered true neutral.
0: Well, uh, then I guess you as a DM, maybe in your game world, maybe you just make DMs, uh, druids neutral good.
1: <laughs> make DMs neutral good? Yes. Yeah.
0: Ma- yes. All
2: DMs must be neutral good. <laughs>
0: now, I, I thought DMs. they're neutral evil.
2: <laughs> oh, no, I thought it was chaotic neutral good. Something like no, that. No,
0: that might be most players are chaotic neutral, but but
1: yeah, Len does have a great article here. He does list some new spells, uh, for yeah. you, in your game, which are really cool. Uh, well, we won't spoil that for you, but page 22 starts, which I think the the best part of N magazine is when they put in new magical items.
0: Oh, yeah, and they're peppered all through the uh, all through uh, the yeah. uh, magazine, which I love.
1: This is what I – the little gems of this magazine. Right. This is one of the gems. of the, Everything is great mm-hmm. in the magazine, but these are what I consider the little gems because I like mm-hmm. to see what people come up with.
2: Yes, and how we were talking about blind fighting earlier. One of these magic items, the earring of acute hearing, could help with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you get plus one to your surprise rolls and minus one to hear noise or other listening rolls. So mm-hmm. you're not going to get surprised, and you're going to hear things all by wearing these earrings.
0: Yeah. And it's like they're they're peppered through the whole uh, issue, just little boxes off the side of different magic items. And i I noticed that uh, I guess this issue, they tend to be heavy helping towards thieves and magic users, from what it looks like.
1: Well, that's good because a lot of people like to see uh, stuff from those for those. So yeah, well, not from them before them. <laughs> I Don't think they're actually gonna you know write in as a magic user saying, please do this
0: no no I'm just saying that that the the magic items that were created tend to be look like they would benefit uh magic users and or thieves very true so so Good. after that after we have uh, was an article by Ian schlater and he writes an article
1: a c slater
0: uh about no, oh. no, Ian Slater. Oh. Sorry,
1: I got saved <laughs> um, by the bell flashback there.
0: Yeah, I guess. And um, at first I was a little, I was a little confused by the article. It's called "Sleight of Hand with Dice and Cards." Yeah. And then I'm like, I read a little further, and at first they're talking about, um, he, he gives like some rules that you can maybe use, some guidelines how how your characters that they get into like some sort of card game or a dice game in in a tavern or a bar or wherever how they could cheat at them mm-hmm. And then it gets into different types of games that you can play uh, that's part of that that what they would find in a tavern in environment. Uh, Cavaliers courage, uh, orc bones, a game called star storm. Down. I like the one called the fireball. That one seemed pretty cool. So, yeah, and he, and he talks about each of these different uh, card or dice games, who they're typically played by, either, you know, a type of class or race, and how the game is played. So you could actually have a game within a game. So you're playing D&D, your characters are in and in, and maybe there's a bunch of thieves and fighters that are sitting around there playing Orc Bones. And you want to, and they ask, you know, hey, you want to, you want to play Orc Bones with us? You're like, okay, how do you play? So you can go into that. Or you have a bunch of magic users they are playing Fireball. and they got a bunch of cards, a deck of cards. And you can actually play this with a deck of cards in the game. So really cool idea. I love stuff like this for me as a DM or a player because it really brings the game to life. You almost feel like you're there. You yeah. know?
1: Yeah, definitely. you're...
0: You're actually playing the game Fireball, you know, that these Magic users are playing, or Dragon's Foot. There's another game right there. So, yeah, I love this article for that. Um, So, very cool stuff, and there's, I think there's like eight or nine different games he might have, you know, that there, that he, yeah, that,
1: and they're and not just typical, like, you know, roll D6s. It kind of has some thought into them, how to add it up. It's not just right. a, simple, a little meh game. So here's right. real good detail about these games. Mm-hmm. And I would think this would – your players, if you – I would say maybe have a gambling casino going on there and use these rules to have many games and have your players spend some time gambling. You know, having, yeah,
0: I know there's, like, the gambling – rules in the dmg for like uh for poker and i think for darts but this is a uh, a welcome addition to that for different card and dice games that you can have if you have like a casino or a gambling some sort of gambling establishment in our town or city so or you can use this as a i would think you could almost use it as a plot hook yeah, these, these games you know maybe you have to win a hand of of hydra which is one of the card games in order for you to get your friends out of prison something like that i don't know so
1: or <laughs> well, yeah maybe one of your players gets into so much debt that you have to play games to you know for to free him or something like you said
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah that's it's a really cool article on that i I would love to get more into the, what they are, but you just have to read it for yourself. And it's for free, so you can go and download it.
1: Well, so, yeah, like said, we're reviewing the articles themselves. We're not going into too much detail because we want mm-hmm. you to download the magazine and enjoy it.
0: Yes. Read
1: it. If we tell you everything that it says there, then what's the point of you downloading
0: it? Right. And then we got more magic items like this Gauntlets of Fury, yeah. which I thought was like pretty cool. But it's got some downsides. I like how some of these magic items that were made for the For the issue they're in this issue, some of them have a downside to them mm-hmm. you know, and then I think I get on some of the my favorite parts of this is um mm-hmm. there's a couple of like campaign setting oh, one little mini campaign setting called the great Eastern woods and it's a campaign setting by john Fredericks.
1: that's uh, t man on our forums
0: yeah, and um just a, a nice map that was made of have all these different places like
1: I like that map. Uh, that drawing of that map looks I like, like it too. <laughs> you know what it looks like? You know the guy Dyson Maps who does Dyson Maps? Mhm. It looks like his style of drawing almost. But Yeah, it,
0: you know not- what also reminded me of? What? The original map in the Hobbit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Doesn't it kind of give you that that the that vibe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It does. And I think that's why I like it because you have Towards the top of the map, which I I would guess would be north, you have the Drakenlands. And then there's the Great Peak. And next to that is the Crystal Spires. You have the Miner's Road, Old Fort, Fort Town, the Long Swamp. All this cool stuff just uh, drizzled within this map. And he has a great breakdown of all these different places within this uh, mini-campaign.
1: This If I, if I was going to have a campaign, I would want my map to look like this.
0: Yeah. I, I love that it is primitive in its look because it gives the idea of you know, this from a primitive society.
1: This looks like a type of thing you can print out, age it on a piece of paper, roll it up, and give it to your players as a prop.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So you this can't. is the map of the land that you guys would have and, like, a common thing, like, they would have in the kingdoms when they're plotting out things. Mm-hmm. Like, I could just see them rolling this out. Like, if you ever watch Game of Thrones and they pull out the maps and they're looking yep. at the maps and they show the land, it looks just like this. Well, mm-hmm. not that, but very similar to what this looks like. And it's really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there's no hexes or anything on it. Just, it's just an old style map. And just the breakdown that he gives on the different towns, the different geographic features, and each area has its own little adventure seat. Just to give you a, uh, an example, there's a place on the map called the Pass of Calidaeus. And he talks about how this path, this natural pass, it's most direct route across the mountains into the great eastern woods. While it is a pass, many of the trails are still quite rugged and steep. And he talks about how the rise of the tree line follows sheer cliffs. Calidaeus was, I guess, a, a, a famous uh, army general Eve yeah. here fighting many goblins and rata. Right it says adventure seed the PCs are hired to protect an important diplomat or trader who wishes to travel to Hannaford which is one of the towns and beyond however a great rainstorm hampers travel and bandits human or otherwise waylay the party they may get help from a halfling hermit was made his retreat in the mountains, so each area has a description of the area and an adventure seed to go along with it so it's it's not just all these different things on a map and what they are there's th- th- he gives you an ideas What uh, we can do t- uh, for adventures, and each one just has one adventure seed which for all the different features on the map that's plenty to have for a nice campaign to go along hmm. I like the one that's the Crystal Spires. I'm not yeah. going to read it and spoil it for everybody, but when you download the issue, when you read the Crystal Spires, it's really cool. It's just one of those weird things. <laughs> no yeah. one knows how it got there.
1: But. I like the little adventure seeds that come along with each little
0: place too. I do. I do too. That's great that's stuff. It. I mean, just more and- than more than you can hope for.
1: And then John comes back with another article right after it about making things for the campaign, so...
0: Yeah, mini, making a mini-castle on the cheap.
1: Yeah, pretty much going to st- pl- stores like Michael's or uh, Joanne Fabrics or uh, Hobby Lobby and finding those little cheap things that people just kind of use for their decoration around the house It'd be perfect for gaming.
0: Yeah, he, in this one, he talked about how he found these... Castles. Castles. Um, these sandcastles sand castles that were like on clearance for a buck and how he cleaned them up and painted them and make them used as
1: little props. Yeah.
0: As basically, yeah. Little props for, for miniatures in your campaign. And he somehow got a hold. I love the picture. He somehow got a hold of one of those, um, I guess would have been the, imp- uh, inspiration for the boule. Is
1: that what that is? Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. Geo pet thing going on.
0: There. No, that's what that was one of the original uh, inspirations for the boule.
1: And he's got a hero click there. I didn't know hero clicks made uh, fantasy stuff too. Yeah. Huh. So, he goes to the detailed steps, how to paint it, how to, you know, uh, get mm-hmm. it. And then he has a little bridge as well. Yeah.
0: I don't know where he found that, but that's pretty cool.
1: Uh, he said someone carved it out for him. Oh, okay. I think he said uh, where I just saw, I know there was something. His his father was kind enough to do the bridge for him on a bandsaw. OK, so there. Yeah. But I mean, you could still build this. You could find something similar to this and then carve out with a Dremel mm-hmm. tool and just uh, go to town on it. Cool.
0: And then there's another article uh, from Nicole. Nicole Massey and I guess original compacts. Uh, concepts by Lee Connor, uh, another PC class called <laughs> the dancer. And I wasn't too keen on it. <laughs> I wasn't too keen on it. I, I got to be honest, I'm not I'm not really interested in this class. I read through it, I'm like,
1: "Eh. It kind of just reminds me of like a thief acrobat."
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is kind of like the thief thief acrobat but more fightery than thiefy cuz I'm yeah. looking at the skills and I'm like loose sand line balls
1: the yeah. ability to play this out of the box without having to get to fifth level on this and that and
0: yeah I wasn't I wasn't all too yeah on this
1: it, I mean, I, it's a good idea if you really want if you're really into that type of stuff for your campaign but uh, I really wasn't into this class nothing against the coal or anything but I was just not
0: yeah it just wasn't it wasn't for me not not, not to uh, yeah, not not too uh, big on it myself.
1: I mean, they get um, they modify their AC is modified per level. Their movement goes up just like a monk. So they have the two things from the monk class. They have damage per their MA, which I believe is martial arts, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just like so. They pretty much took the best of the monk things, added it to the class, added thieving abilities, but added high jumping, standing broad jump, running broad jump, tumble attack. Some Evasion of Fallen, which you don't get those
2: abilities until at least six level. the last couple I just read.
0: Yeah, it's like they took the monk and the thief acrobat and stuck them together in a way.
2: It's kind of Ezio from the Assassin's Creed video oh, games. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, i thinking about it, but call it the dancer class. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it's if Ezio knew some caperia.
0: <sighs> so,
1: yeah, we have that. And then we go to some ecology now.
0: Yeah, their creature feature one. By Dan Rasadia. I'm sorry. If I slaughtered your name, Dan, I apologize. The creature Ecology fe- of hey. the sl- What?
1: Creature Feature. Hey, isn't that copyright RF? Yeah, they- well,
2: no, theirs is just a Creature Feature. Ours is the Creature Feature Theater. Oh, all right. That's okay. Fine. Yeah, their anyway. features are shown in our theater.
0: Okay. So they What's did the- one Ecology of the Slan Jatul. Y- Yaltul? I guess it would be called, yeah, it's like a
1: lizard creature or something.
0: It's it's. I love the beginning of it. It's actually a pretty cool story. How he yeah. gets into it, I like it because you get the feeling at the end that everybody's scared because they don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> <They're not laughs> something not- very very evil.
1: They're not demon creatures, but they're really evil. So
0: yeah, they're from the plane of Tartarus, though. Hmm.
1: Huh.
0: They are plainer creatures, but they're from, like, I almost get the feeling they're almost, like, like, kind of, like, I don't know what you would term them as, but they're
2: nasty.
1: I wouldn't <laughs> want to run against a 14-hit dice creature, though.
2: No! They're, they're kind of Cthulhu-ish, in a way. Yeah,
0: they're oh. pretty nasty. Yeah. And there's two different stats, one for male, one for female. And I don't even want to, yeah... Yeah, I don't even want to run into the female. Uh-huh. So it's, your- pretty, it's pretty cool. Something if you want to throw your players for a loop, this is something you want to add. Yeah.
1: On the next page with the magical items that they have. That's right. <laughs> now the, the spider gloves, is it an actual yeah. spider that you're sticking your hand into because of the picture? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out. I don't it.
0: think so. No. I hope. You're becoming Spider Man basically.
2: Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, they're just uh, white silk uh, gloves with uh, crisscrossing dark lines on them. So mm-hmm. they're not actually like spiders you're putting on. Your I head.
0: like the torch of the foot pad. That's a cool yeah. magic item. I but, like that.
1: Did you see how to regrow it? Yes. was <laughs> like, oh my god, to go through all that. I wish I can live the the uh, elephant the blood and then sprinkle the displacer beast bones around the. I'm like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a quest in itself. Right. <laughs> you know?
2: Well, considering its a gold value is 20,000. <laughs> 2,500
0: XP as well. Right. That's pretty good. Yeah. But what it does is awesome. It can, when you, you light the torch, you wave it around in the smoke wherever it touches, it'll outline hidden doors, sharp blue, illusions, bright green, magical objects, deep purple, and traps, and bright crimson. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> And then he got the other article by Brian Fazekas, I guess. Uh, Fazekas, yeah. Fizikas. Fizikas, that's, I'm sorry. Fazekas. Ad- and uh, he does Creature Feature Part 2, Electric Boogaloo here.
1: Oh, you had to bring that in. You and DM Mike, I can't stand that.
0: <sighs> that's why I did it. Anyway, yeah. ec- Ecology of the Spore Spitter. This is kind of a creepy little...
1: I would not want to run to one of these creatures with these little things that come spitting out of it. And yeah,
0: just, like, and drag- sometimes it. hover around it. It's like a plant that's intelligent and has these like big spores that can hover around and shoot. And it's kind of creepy. Yeah. They're
1: negative <laughs> one the to AC, and they and they can do one d six damage.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, the attack is eleven hit dice monster, and they yeah. do one to six points of damage, and and kills the spore. So, like, it uses spores to attack you, but the spores also help it reproduce. So, that's a pretty cool article, too. And, you know, and the beginning story, I thought was well done as well. You know, both of the creature features, the beginning stories were very well done, at least in my opinion. And then um, another one of my favorites here in this this issue, there's just so much good stuff in here. Uh, Vince Lethal. That's not me. No, his last name is Lethal. Or is lethal.
1: it Lethal? I wonder if that actually is, is a pen name or not.
0: I don't know, but he wrote up a really cool, um, like a, uh, almost like a rogues gallery thing, a uh, friend or foe, uh, M- company, and it's basically they took ninety-one points of ability scores that were pulled over seven abilities, and they create a whole bunch of characters around that. So they made a cavalier, uh, an elf fighter, and assassin, half-orc assassin.
1: I wonder if with the cavalier they used the uh, corrected or the regular. I don't know. I, I assume because it's zero level, we probably just used what was in the... Uh... Yeah,
0: probably the standard earth Arcana okay. cavalier. So we have Mattias... The uh, the human cavalier, we have per- Perfidy, she's a high elf female veteran, so she's a fighter. And these are all first level. And then Cord, he's an apprentice executioner, he's a half orc, first level assassin. And we have Dundring, the guildsmith, who is a hill dwarf, veteran rogue, he's a fighter thief. Alia, Lady of the Deep Woods, who is a half-elf druid magic user. And by the way, druid magic user is an awesome combination.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and Pavo, Weaver of Colors, who is a gnome illusionist thief. And let me tell you, I had a thrill. It was a joy reading about each one of these characters. Well done, Vince. Well done.
1: You're welcome. Oh, sorry.
0: No, the other Vince. But but it's really cool backgrounds because every character is interlinked with the other one and all their attitudes about the other – how they feel about each other character in the party. And you just – I'm reading this. I'm like, man, this would make a really
2: cool miniseries, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You could even but, use this as inspiration on how to encourage your character your players to actually intertwine the backgrounds of their characters too.
0: Yeah, which is one thing I try to do. I don't like having well, you just all you all meet in an inn and you meet this old man. I'd like it at least if old. if half the player characters are somehow interlinked in some way. And this one shows how they're how they all are related in some way socially, if not by blood or something like that. But just a great little little article there. And then we got another friend or foe, Nicholas Morgul by Milo. This is a nasty NPC. <laughs> I mean or his nickname he goes by is Old Nick. Old Nick. He's a um he's a vampire magic user.
1: Vampire.
0: Yeah. Ah. Does a really good at disguising the fact that he's a vampire.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, because he he just is a seemingly harmless low-level magic user specializing in black magic and demonism. Yeah. That's Uh, that's all. Just harmless. I could see this. I think one of
0: the things that Milo uh, used for this character as far as, like, how you can use him in a in a campaign that he could be a benefactor to an adventuring party.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could see using him, if you're running, like, an urban campaign, he's basically, like, the patron of the party, and little do they know they're actually working for this totally evil vampire. And I
0: think this would also really work if you're having a campaign where was all evil or mostly evil characters he he would work really well as a as a benefactor to that party. So, that's just my kind of take on it. And um what about the next one there, Matt? Friend or foe 3. Oh,
1: just to, as a side note guys during the show here right now, Brian the uh, chief editor wrote us a note and said thank you for the uh wonderful words about issue number 7 we did a couple weeks ago. Okay. up on the shows so I told him we were doing the review of today's show on uh, issue number 8 and uh, he just wrote back he said that was really cool, thank you very much for the promotion and the help and he said since the magazine dropped he's had almost 2,000 downloads already awesome. wow so he's, wow. All, he's all freaked out and pumped about it You because know, I guess it's a, a big download for them right now, so that's great
0: good for him glad, I'm, uh, and you know what, I'm glad that we're promoting him because they, they do great work
1: well, yeah, you we got a, anything first edition. We have to with the push out there and get people to yeah,
0: and, and and it's good, just good quality stuff. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like wow, <laughs> It's out of control. All
1: right, back to our regular
2: scored. So
0: Matt, why don't you go with the next one here? You could talk if you want to about oh,
2: yes, this um, the Darrow. Yes, the Sinchumu yes. Tizkar Darrow Savant. Yes, yes this is. Just, you're dealing basically with a chaotic evil super genius here. I mean, he is, he has a background of, he just lived a life of rather mediocrity until he (laughs) came upon a caravan and discovered a gleaming incisor of unusual sheen as like every superhero backstory. He finds (laughs) the magic item. Then, boom, he had to. Ends up that tooth was the fabled 24 tooth of Davla near Nar. Yes, lots of enunciation here needed, uh, which grafted itself between his stained teeth and rotting stumps and immediately shrunk and discolored into obscurity. So basically think like a body part of Vecna.
0: Oh, nice. And it's a tooth.
2: Yes, it's the tooth. But instead of Vecna, this gave him all kinds of power. Teleportation mm-hmm. is a power uh, possessed by the Darrow, but uh, with Sinshimu, he had got this uh, advantage here of being able to teleport without error two times a day. Yes. So then, oh, he's got ESP. Yeah. So and, yeah, and now this little schlep, who whose hair <sighs>
0: is all white now.
2: Yes, who had nothing going for him. Has all this power. Yes. Yes. And he's
0: chaotic evil, by the way, folks.
2: Yeah. And intelligence is a genius, like I said. And he casts spells at the 12th level of ability. He's got charm person, ESP, invisibility, ventriloquism, paralyzation, shadow magic, levitate, comprehend rag- languages, read magic, and magic ant- anti-magic shell. So, yeah, he's basically going to be a really good little puppet master. Mm-hmm yeah <laughs> and then yeah let's see it is as for his equipment we're talking like wands of lightning scaled leather armor and he's got that tooth it's giving him that gave him all of this and this ring of earth elemental command and yeah he's just nasty and there's a whole long backstory and he goes into the underworld and yeah this this, you could basically make an entire campaign around him because Mm -hmm. he is just that high of a big bad and he's got like 10th level assassins under him and he's manipulating and it's yeah just good good yes
0: and he had a ring of elemental command and he will stop at almost nothing to regain it so yes could base a little uh mini adventure on that you know somebody mm-hmm. in the, the adventuring party finds a ring of elemental command but it's not his
2: yeah. <laughs> and now they have this guy chasing after them <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> this little gnome looking dude who's got all white hair shooting lightning at them and uh, apparently can do color spray three times a day and all this other jazz
2: right yeah Really, probably what would happen, he would just walk up to the person with it, charm them, and be like, give me my ring back. Okay, friend, here you go. Okay, here you go, friend. And you'd, Yeah. But, yeah, four-foot-tall t- people with, like, super hyper is always fun, because no one expects the gnome to destroy you. Mm. Gnome. 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 The the gnome is good evil. Yes. <laughs> it is very good evil in a super genius Yes,
0: genius way. So mm-hmm. we have that guy. And then we go on to the toy box, which is like, I guess, new weapons and equipment and by Nicole again. And we have, uh, I guess, different types of whips and arrows.
1: Yeah. What's Nicole trying to say? Oh, I'm sorry. No
0: <laughs> hey. hey, this <laughs> is a family podcast. I know. I'm just playing. I know. But uh, yeah, get some stats for different types of whips. Canine tails, a scourge, and a metal whip. And um, different types of of arrows that you might come across. I think um, the the arrows are interesting for the fact that if you want to use them for a more primitive society, I guess like a Stone Age society, you have – you run across Neanderthals or something like that. I think that would work really well or maybe if you come across some pretty – you know, primitive type gnolls or goblins. Maybe those are the type of arrows they would actually use.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. And for those that actually use it, she's even included weapons versus, weapons versus armor, armor adjustments. adjustments. Yes, now I that's
0: think- just wrong.
1: <laughs> I think with the many conversations I've had with Nicole in the past, when when N Magazine was first coming out, we were first you know trying to partner up with them to help promote them. I believe she uses those in her games, so that's probably why <laughs> it was included. Yeah.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, because that's something you usually don't see when people make new weapons or weapons. Right, variants. the weapons versus armor
0: adjustments. Yeah. I like this next magic eye on the Magsman's mantle. That's cool. <laughs> different feathers, it helps you with different... Yeah. And You put this cap on, and different feathers in the cap that you might find will improve thieving ability. It's pretty cool.
1: Using a D12 for random rolls. I, I and,
0: wonder... Um, gosh, roll. we're maybe... What, Nick? Past halfway of the issue. There's so much stuff yeah. in there. It's crazy. I um,
1: use D12 to roll, so I wonder if you roll the same thing twice. Does
2: the same feather do something
1: twice? Or
0: Oh, no, I guess there's 12 different types of feathers you can find.
2: Right, yeah, and it'll have 1D4 feathers. But yeah, I could see having multiples of the same feather. Hmm.
1: Okay, cool.
2: So. And then you can also add feathers to it as well, because the feathers can be found separately from the hat. Mm-hmm. So, but only a maximum of four could, could be on at any time. Cool.
0: We got another article by Andrew Hamilton after that. Spellcaster, what we- Spellcaster's Paradise, Frost Giant Shamans. <laughs>
1: Oh, and staff regular magazine uh, editors. So,
0: yes, and he goes some good ideas for background on uh, using frost giant shamans and giving them a little more interesting spells to their arsenal that would be particular to the frost giants. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, sorry. Oh. Like uh, the breath of the winter wolf, where it basically gives the frost giant shaman a breath weapon. <laughs> you know. Yes. Like, that's the last thing you need Frost Giants having. <laughs> or, um, what's another one? Uh, the Ice Axe, where he basically.
2: Well, is everything okay there? Yeah, no, <laughs> did you fall over? You Sorry over. about that. I had a cat issue, and the cat unplugged my headphones, so my speakers kicked on.
0: <laughs> oh. Ice Axe, and he falls over. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you
2: killed him, Nick? What's going on?
0: No, no. I Yeah, I used that, um, Used the breath of winter wolf spell on him, knocked him over. But like, there's there's just a whole bunch of different spells here. Like I said, that were particular to to frost giant shamans. And you can go through this article and and read through those. And I think even a few of them might uh, be able to be used by regular shamans, if not clerics. You know, Andrew
1: is good at spells. I mean, this guy, he um. When he we first brought him on the podcast for issue one and I've been talking to them over the time, like he like writes spells down as he's like jogging or walking the dog. He's thinking of spells. Like this guy has a book of spells. They did an issue just of spells and mag- magical items, and he did it. I actually uh, had tapped him to help me with the new mazes and peril some spells and I was just like, Oh, I need this, this and that. And he's like, Okay. Within a week, boom, he had like <laughs> it's like I don't know, ten page thing given to me of spells. I was like, Holy cow and they're all original. None of them are the same. There's just, uh, I don't
2: know how he does it. Yeah, he just has a knack. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's
0: really good. Yeah. And that, and also, not just at the spells, but as these new magic items, too.
2: Right. The giant snowballs. Oh, I was, those
0: giant snowballs are so cool.
2: Yes. I was so <laughs> Literally. amazed. Yes. I was so. Two foot snowballs that explode yes, that <laughs> exploding snowballs that yes and if you expose them to great heat they explode so you not can't even,
0: not even great heat 70... The temperature just has to be above 70 degrees fahrenheit
2: right uh, <laughs> oops your torch got a little too close to it Boom!
0: Mm. Boom. exactly and he also in this ardo Artie Cool, (laughs) gives an example NPC of a Hringar the 6th level Frost Giant Shaman so it gives a pretty cool um, background on that guy and how to use Hringar in play So very cool stuff there and then uh, another article by Leonard Lakofka two new cleric druid spells he gives
1: more so magical items as well on the next more page. More
0: magical items. Yeah, and um, we have after that. There's another one by Ian Slater, uh, an article called "Fawn Raven's Falcon," and it's a uh, it's an article about a magic user by the name of Fawn Reaver, Fawn Reaver the Fantastic, and in his magic book and different magic spells that he acquired over time, maybe some that he's designed. And a lot of these spells are... I would say the majority of them are utilitarian in nature. Yeah, yeah. But But um, some pretty interesting stuff there. So, if... I would say a lot of these spells are really good, again, in an hermit environment. Maybe in a dungeon, too. So...
1: Then Ian comes back with another article about uh, the Fireball and analyzing... Oh my how God. Use it, the area of effect, how to look at it from, uh, you know, if you're a magic user, how to use it properly, because no one seems to know how to use it properly and just kind of yep. fireballs.
0: Well, suffice to f- say, if you have a 40 by 40 room with a 10 foot tall ceiling, you're going to be okay. But if you don't, yep. <laughs> back blast.
2: <laughs> yep. It- Narrow hallways, bad for fireballs.
0: Bad for fireballs. You're going to fireball a whole dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he gets into all that math. It made my head hurt a little. But uh, because I'm nowhere near a math guy at all. But I had to read through the uh, article a second time. And uh, he talks about the area effect and the back blast. You're trying to break it down where... The fireball, they say it's 33,000 square feet, and you break that into, like, 10-foot increments in a dungeon. How that all kind of fits, and then it made sense to me a little bit better. So that's why, you if you're going to cast a fireball into a room, make sure the room is at at the minimum 40 by 40.
1: It does give examples of how, you know, taking people's heights and laying them down, just so you can visualize what the area Mm -hmm.
0: looks like. Yeah, and the area is huge. Yeah. It's ginormous. I mean, yeah, well yeah, forty foot it's twenty foot radius, which is a forty foot diameter. That's a huge blast radius. So
1: Yeah. So he gets the details by the book, and then he looks at it from his point of view. So uh definitely look at that article. It'll yeah. help you Some... Visualize it better.
0: hmm Yeah, I, I read through it a couple of times and I'm like, okay, now I gotta understand what he's saying. And then we got more magic items. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so
1: lots of magic items in this i love the magic items the little gems just to get ideas and stuff
0: mm-hmm. and then nicole again she comes up with this uh, article on emporia and domiciles brandy wine house basically it's like a, a hospital yeah way so gives a a background on these brandy wine houses or where you can locate them in your campaign and who Pard Brandywine is, this little halfling who's a healer, and how he came up with these Brandywine houses and how they're used for healing. I think it was a pretty cool idea. I don't know if I would use it. I think it'd just make healing a little bit too accessible. <laughs> I mean, got clerics and all that, but I could see how you can also, she says, in your own campaign, you can kind of you know, link these to a particular god of healing, maybe in your, in your campaign world. So, pretty good idea. At least an idea how maybe a facility in your game world how uh, like this could exist and how it would be set up.
2: Right. Yeah, And I could see if, say, a lord was at war with another country or something at that point, them organizing a place like this and having a mm -hmm. more formal way to deal with mass casualties as opposed to just having a bunch of clerics on the front line. Yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff. Word.
0: And then we have a one-page dungeon. Yeah. The Dungeon That's, of Doom.
1: So a little bit of a <clears throat> second edition.
0: That's okay. It's by yeah. Michael Woodhead.
1: Um, Brian, actually, the chief editor, said that his rule of thumb is uh, if it's convertible easily by looking at it, that he has no problem putting it in the magazine, so... You may see sprinkles of second edition in this first edition magazine, so. Mm -hmm. But nothing more than that as far as going forward edition-wise. Only old school, which they consider, I guess, first and before and a little bit of second.
0: So the idea I got from this one-page dungeon is basically... He challenges adventurers by teleporting them into his one little dungeon and have to, and they have to do different tasks in each room to to survive.
2: This almost sounds like some sort of weird game show slash reality show for D and D. Yes.
0: It it pretty much is. It's 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 almost like um you know, um
2: yeah. How no,
0: you described it?
2: What is what is the the one uh, something castle? The Japanese game show where you have like oh, people. oh
0: Takashi's castle.
2: Takashi's castle. This yes. is yes the D equivalent of Takashi's castle.
0: Or if I would make it, I'd make it like most extreme elimination challenge. Yes. Remember MXC?
2: Oh yes, which was I do. The take
0: off of Takashi's?
2: Yes. Yeah. It's definitely has that as with, well.
0: With Vic Blankenship and
2: <laughs> and Vic Romano. <laughs> Oh, I, I can actually see it now. You have two like commentators scrying in.
0: That in would desc- be awesome.
2: <laughs> describing <laughs> to like a theater of what's going on.
0: All right, he's now doing the loop de loop, and now. Oh, he's getting down into the scary uncle.
2: <laughs> they
1: still have that on there, but it's just uh, done a little differently now.
0: I love MXC. It was so funny.
1: Yeah, I forgot what they called it. It was on, what was the the G4 channel that's now Esquire now, or whatever yeah.
0: it You can watch uh, reruns on YouTube. They got them on there.
1: Now they're done by two, go- two actually American-speaking uh, people, English-speaking uh-huh. people.
0: I so love well, the overdub. I thought that made yeah. it that much more funny. Yeah.
1: And they're all done in uh, America, and you have to get to Vegas as the final competition.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you're talking about the one show. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. American
2: Ninja is called now. That's it. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's not the same. because It's not the same. the same thing. It, it, because in with Japanese game shows, they really do not care if they cripple their contestants. No, well, they sign I, a waiver. Yeah. It, or it's like the one game show where you, they had to be like human tetris. They were like on a conveyor belt and they had these different shaped uh these walls coming at them with different shaped holes and they had to contort their bodies to go through the holes. Oh my god. <sighs> yeah. yeah. It's just evil.
0: Yeah. I like
2: it. Which mm-hmm. actually you could throw in something like that too. <laughs> you make the, yeah. I have like a moving wall in one of the hallways and the party has to actually contort through it. Mhm. Otherwise they get smashed. Now Hex back crawl.
0: The, yes, back to the issue.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> but I think, uh, in my opinion, the next article is probably my favorite, the Hex Crawls.
1: You like the Hex Andrew. Crawls? I like,
0: hex, I like the Hex Crawls by Andrew Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, this was probably my favorite part of it. I didn't think I was going to like it at first. No? Good. And then uh, uh, reading through it, I'm like, wow, this is really cool detail and – just invokes a sense of mystery around these three 24 mile hexes and everything that's inside them. I, I, I just loved it because each, each hex, he gives a breakdown of the climate and, and what he's talking, what he made, Andrew may was out of his own campaign world. And there's a place called Elway in the burn region. And there's this one hex it has this town called Elway and there's this place called the Burn, where it was like a a huge section of fortress uh, forest that was burned down, but in some places is still smoldering to this very day. So so in this hex you have a climate breakdown breakdown, the terrain topography, the flora, the fauna, how the land is used, the inhabitants, the communities and economies economy, and features of note. So it breaks down everything there on each of these different hexes. And that and there's a lot of stuff just going on in one hex. Then he goes on to the next one, the Sedges Crossing region, and the breakdown there. And then you have one, I think, one more hex he does, the Lonely Road, and breaks down everything there and how all they're, they're connected. Oh wait, and there's one more the North daven downs region, so there's four hex four twenty four mile hexes that he broke down all of this different stuff that's going on and you it, it makes you think about what could be going on like if in your own campaign setting and just a few hexes you could just cram so much stuff in a small area of a campaign world. It's just amazing. This it, it made me think about that. It's like, wow, you know what? I don't have to make a huge map of a whole, like, continent. I could just take one little section and detail it, like, you know, something that he did here, and we can have months and months of adventuring going on. So I, I just thought, this is my favorite part of the whole issue right here, these hex crawls. And... Uh, I'm. I'm gonna have to say I might have to use this stuff somewhere in a game in the future. These hex crawls that Andrew made. So I don't know. What did you think, Vince?
1: I'm not big person with the hex crawls, but after reading his descriptions and looking at the maps, I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I did too. I have, like. I, you were probably like me, like I'm not sure if I'm gonna really like this.
1: Yeah, I I don't really a big person for hex Carlson, but then he broke it down and wrote it, wrote it so that even I would understand it and and think, hey, maybe I can use this. Yeah.
0: yeah, and there's some really cool stuff here. Like I said, like about that place called the Burn. He said this burned over forest had refused to grow for a century. Travelers still claim to see flickering flames, smoke, and figures moving in the distance. Few expeditions led by druids have failed to return from the Burn. Common folk avoid the place so i mean that just gives you ideas of a dm like oh figures i wonder what they could be hmm i could you know, and, and just run with it just go with it so yeah. there's some really good cool stuff in there
2: yeah so. the, yeah they're not just like 24 miles of terrain they're actually they actually have a whole backstory and when i was re- first read i didn't think of them as like just like a hex scroll trouncing through the wilderness. I thought of these as more like four different just parts of a campaign setting. Yeah. yeah. That's really what they are. It's not just like describing some like the natural environment people are traveling through. No. There's some detail. Yeah. (laughs) This feels like it was like stripped from like forgotten realms or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can kind of see how, well, if you take this hex and this hex and – you can almost start making an overlapping story arc just using the four hexes and flesh out an entire world. Yeah, this, these four
0: hexes apparently are from Andrew's own game world from what I understand. Right.
2: So... Right. Yeah, and, and you get a feel for that from hmm. the detail he put in this. and so Yeah, absolutely. It, it's good stuff, and actually I would be interested in seeing more hexes from it. Yeah, I am too. So, and that's...
0: And there's a couple more magic items that were at the end of the issue, and that's pretty much it. Overall, great issue.
1: Well, Love there's for further reading by Ronald Redman, uh, the promoter, the pr- promotion manager. Mm-hmm. He does give a bunch of links about this whole entire magazine, such as different Dragon magazines you can look at for urban adventure, mm-hmm. Various sites that talk about it with modules and settings. Um, different forum tap topics, random city generators, things like that. Yep. It's their appendix N for this issue. Yes. And then where you can find N Magazine on the net, including our forums at osrgaming.org, is where their home is. They have some uh, pen and paper games. They have a thread, first edition AD&D, Yahoo group. Even Usenet. Yeah, Usenet. I was surprised at that. I haven't seen people use Usenet in a long time. <sighs> yeah. I only use alt.binaries when I do. <laughs> and then we have finally uh, one final word from Nicole Massey treading softly talking about this issue compared to everything else in the past. Oh, and then we have the map of uh, feature just random map number two temple tomes and towers. And that's yeah. it. Give us a preview for issue nine and actually issue 10 as well. So they got their ducks in a row. Yeah. So final thoughts, starting with you, Nick.
0: Outstanding issue. I, I can't say anything else about it. Just, it was amazing, all the stuff that was packed in here. Yeah. And they've really come a long way. And it just seems like it's getting better and better.
2: Yeah. That's it, a great magazine. And if you checked it out at first and just didn't feel like it was your thing, time it's time to come back. And actually try in magazine again because mm-hmm. there's just so much good stuff. The layout and the presentation is just top notch. I mean, it like we've said earlier, you, this could easily be a print magazine in the way it's formatted and laid out. It, and as for the content, even if you're not running urban campaigns, there's still stuff in here. Just the random magic items. They're great. Yeah. All the, sp- yeah. <laughs> the new spells. Tons of new spells. I mean... And who doesn't like more spells? And then there's an exploding snowball. (laughs) Exploding snowball. Enough said. that will be talking about that one for a long time. Oh, absolutely. I'll just start randomly throwing in a giant snowball and see if my players are dumb enough to walk near it with a torch. (laughs) Overall, I'm saying I love it. I love N Magazine since I found
1: it, since I've talked to them. I, I, I enjoy speaking to all the staff constantly. Um... If you've downloaded it, looked at it, because I've seen a lot of people said they downloaded it just went meh, it's free. Take a look yeah. at it. Take, take five minutes out of your busy schedule and just take a look at it. Do them a favor and just take a look at it. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything to look. Right. And, hey, maybe you'll you'll walk out of there with something for your game. Right. So I guess that's going to wrap up the show this week. I think so. For our uh, issue one below thirty eight right yeah, yeah one thirty eight <laughs> matt insert number here yes <laughs> issue one thirty eight where we
2: talk about and magazine eight
1: that's right we've we've gotten so lazy that I just do issue blah, 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 and give matt a whole bunch
2: of numbers and he just inserts them in right so as of right now thanks to Vincent his pre-recording I have everything for issue nine 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 <laughs> <laughs> hmm, will we get up to
1: issue 999 no one will know maybe issue 666 Six. Ooh. Ooh. No, I don't know if we're going to get that we'll special
0: Satan issue
1: yeah that would take us like what 10 years to get there <laughs> Right, the rate we're going but uh yeah so rfi staff at gmail.com 570-865-4210 the hotline RFIPodcast.com, follow us on Twitter, RFI Podcast, for show announcements. Um you can find us on Google Plus at RFI Podcast by searching the communities. Um and that's about it. If you find us on Facebook, feel free to add us uh, and we will gladly talk and chat with you, no problem. You bet. Other than that, uh keep original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night.
0: Bye everyone.
2: A production of Wild Games Productions in Association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com
1: or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by
2: calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time
0: on Roll for Initiative.